they got on their next train from Leicester up to London, where I lived at the time, made it to the house. And the kind of feeling, I guess, at that point was it was just that, you know, irrespective of whatever pain they go through, even knowing it was just an appendix, I mean, it wasn't a huge, you know, it wasn't a kind of, you know, life threatening sort of, you know, operation or surgery or anything. But, you know, to basically, you know, pack the bags, you know, walk to the station in Leicester, walk to the station, uh, you know, get to London and basically come and find us. It was just that, it was just that kind of almost, I guess my first experience of real kind of, you know, true and pure kind of love, right? The kind of thing that you just drop everything for, you know, someone you know is in pain and needs you and you just do everything you can to to get to them. And I think that's just, it's just a really kind of important lesson. I think even at that time, I, I kind of maybe didn't appreciate it, but over the years, it's just something that stuck in my mind that, look, if someone needs you, then you just pack your bags and go. You're listening to Sharing Tales, the podcast which embraces and celebrates the rollercoaster of childhood with me, Rebecca Clark. During this series, with a new focus on our childhood experiences, we'll be hearing from a variety of storytellers as each week my special guest joins me to generously share some of their personal stories. The big and small things, sometimes the seemingly innocuous or the unexpected. Here we embrace and acknowledge the rollercoaster of childhood connecting us all through our stories and giving our inner child a chance to be heard. Childhood is the great unifier. We've all had one. None are quite the same. But importantly, we live to tell the tale. Hello. This is a bit of a special episode for me because I'm talking with my old school friend, Amit Vias. I actually asked Amit to come on to one of the earlier series of Sharing Tales, but schedules didn't quite work out. And in hindsight, I'm pleased because, of course, the focus of these conversations has shifted. So it's been particularly lovely to do this when we're speaking about childhoods. We didn't actually meet until we were around 13. As Amit explains in the episode, he moved locations with his family, which led to him joining our school at a time when friendship groups were pretty well established. But from my perspective, and I think many of our friends and peers at the time would agree, Amit was a welcome addition to the Stopsley crew. I remember his arrival and wanting to be particularly welcoming because I'd been that person who moved towns and joined a new school, probably five years earlier, when my family moved, and I remembered how daunting it was. School is such a long time ago now, but it's so impactful on who we grow to become. And for those of us who had some negative and challenging experiences, Some of those wounds really do run deep. It was interesting to have this conversation because we have slightly different memories and takes on some of our shared experiences. And equally, it was wonderful to hear some stories I'd never heard before. We chat about a whole host of things from Amit's very close relationship with both his parents and his brother, the extended family now all live in Dubai together, the early signs of entrepreneurship, which were modelled and encouraged by his parents when we were still kids at school, how Amit's consciously supporting and nurturing his young daughters, providing them with tools and opportunities to become whoever they want to be, and how this kind, bright and positive person, who I know from all those years ago, now demonstrates ethical and empathetic leadership through his role as a founder and CEO. It was such a treat to have this catch up. I think you'll enjoy it as much as I did. 
I am so pleased to be joined by my old friend, Amit Vyas, today. Amit, how are you? How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you, Rebecca. How are you? I'm really well. I'm a bit jealous because if I remember correctly, Amit, you're based in Dubai and it's now the Eid holidays. So you've got quite a long break, haven't you, at the moment? Yeah, we're in, we're in day four of five. So, uh, oh, Okay. Yeah, so it's yeah we get a five, we've had a five day weekend basically, which is which is always nice. Yeah, and the weather's just about manageable right now as well. So it's been uh, it's been quite cool actually. So it's a couple of pool days, chilling out in the family, mini staycations, all that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, try to cram a lot in. And how are things in Dubai now that you know, parts of the world are returning to normal? What is the situation where you are? Does it feel like pandemic, what pandemic like it does in London? Yeah, and it's been like that probably since January 21. Wow. Yeah, how it works over here is, is I mean, we had no kind of government support in terms of funding or furlough systems or anything like that. Mm. So it's literally, you guys have got to sort this out, manage it yourselves. And, uh, and that was a message from the government. So we had to figure things out pretty quickly. But I think what they realised as well is sort of unnecessary lockdowns, and, and things which sort of restricted business. And in Dubai, tourism also accounts for a lot mm-hmm. of business. Mm-hmm. You know, they realized, I think, very quickly that they, they couldn't really restrict that. And so we've had a couple of kind of outbreaks, nothing as serious as the kind of numbers we've seen in the UK and elsewhere mm-hmm. when things have opened up. Um, but also, you know, when, when people are told you've got to wear a mask, everyone wears a mask. And, mm-hmm. um, you, know, they, you know, so we do kind of listen to you know, the advice. And I don't think we had many kind of anti-vaxxers because ultimately if you didn't take a vaccine then you couldn't leave Dubai and go on holiday. So everyone just took a vaccine. And so we've, I think it's been really well managed. I think they've been, the government here have done just a phenomenal job. So it's been businesses usual probably for the last uh, easily last 15 16 months and i know that you have two girls that are school age what was the impact on them and i guess they're back in school has life just kind of carried on yes yeah, so they they were at home from march 20 and then for the rest of our academic year pretty much and then from the from again september 20 onwards they've been at school couple of kind of, I think they had a week where they had to stay at home because there was a little outbreak at school. Other than that, it's been all very, very kind of normal. Yeah, it's been really interesting and the kind of world we now live in and people tend to have friends or family all over the place to kind of just compare and contrast experiences. Um, But I, for one, am, am grateful that at least right now things are moving forward and moving in the right direction and it does feel like life's getting back to normal as as much as possible which is good now today is a unique conversation for me because you and i obviously went to school with each other and so you're my first guest where i'm speaking with somebody where we knew each other back then and although maybe we weren't children because we probably we met when we were around 12 or 13 we have some some shared history and shared adolescence but i also think there are going to be some things I certainly haven't heard before today which I'm excited about too so thank you for coming on no I'm super excited about it actually and, and it, I'm almost tempted to switch the little camera off here that I've got because um just by looking at you Rebecca I've clearly <laughs> aged I've aged much worse than you have and, and nobody I think if we were together right now no one believe would believe that we were in the same class together at school well you're just a silver fox that's all totally jealous <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we start with your first story which is you know on the kind of briefing notes that I get ahead of these chats it's always 
you know, kind of funny or intriguing to me. I kind of get long, long explanations or just a couple of words. And it's a few words in your case um, where you would like to speak about appendicitis and your grandparents. I have no idea what this story is going to to be about or where it might lead. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I think, you know, when I was kind of thinking about, you know, what I could share and what would be interesting, there was a couple of points here where I thought were quite relevant. So uh, I was trying to think how old I was, but I think I was about maybe 10, 10 or 11. And I remember the day really well. So uh, it was Valentine's Day, which I know also has significance for you. <laughs> Right. So I remembered that as well from our school days where it's your birthday, right? Yeah. Yes, it is my birthday. And your memory, right. we were talking before and I was saying there's so much about those years I've forgotten. I'm incredibly impressed. I remember you're an October baby. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, anyway, carry on. Yeah. So, so, I thought, so I thought it'd be nice to bring that up. But basically what happened was I'd woken up, I think in the middle of the night, this crazy kind of stomach pain, woke my folks up and then basically we, they were like, okay, well, let's just call the ambulance. Ended up in hospital. It was very close to burst in my appendix. So basically, you know, it was, they would kind of rush me in, uh, mm. did the procedure. And then that was it. I think as a, as a, you know, young kid, and I think in those days as well, you know, you just spend minimum maybe seven or eight days in hospital yeah. or a kind of, you know, relatively simple procedure today, right? Mm. But I think in those days, you know, so I remember staying in hospital for a week. But the most random part of that was I had very kind of elderly grandparents who lived in, in Leicester. And, um, and, and, you know, they're no longer sort of with us today, but my granddad who was, you know, struggling walking, but just, you know, his, his life was very much kind of based around, you know, our family and, and the grandkids and all that kind of stuff. So my folks were very sort of conscious of not worrying them, you know, that I was in mm -hmm. the hospital, yeah. they, you know, just because of how they'd react. So they didn't tell them, but somehow my, my granddad got wind of it, maybe from some other family or whatever it was. Mm. And um, and bearing in mind that you know, and I kind of remember him as as you know, like an old guy. He was he was kind of prematurely old. I think he died at sixty two, but always mm. looked considerably older. And mm. he, you know, I always remember he had this kind of limp, and he, you know, it's just like you know, like I said, it just looked like an old man. He couldn't really kind of walk properly. But they got on the next train from Leicester up to London, where I lived at the time. Made it to the house, and you know, basically the kind of feeling I guess at that point was it was just that, you know, irrespective of whatever pain they go through, even knowing it was just an appendix. I mean, it wasn't mm. a huge, you know, it wasn't a kind of, you know, life-threatening sort of, you know, operation or surgery or anything. But, you know, to basically, you know, pack the bags, you know, walk to the station in Leicester, walk to the station, mm. uh, you know, get to London and basically come and find us. It was just that, it was just that kind of almost, I guess, my first experience of real kind of, you know, true and pure kind of love right the kind of yeah. thing that you just drop yeah. everything for you know someone you know is in pain and needs you and you just do everything you can to to get to them mm. and I think that's just it's just a really kind of important lesson I think even at that time I, I kind of maybe didn't appreciate it but over the years it's just something that stuck in my mind that look if someone needs you yeah. then you just pack your bags and go right that's it mm. you know and I think it's always something I've done since then irrespective of what it is mm -hmm. if someone that's you know close to me you know has ever needed me then then I've always you know try to be there for them you know and that's irrespective of you know the consequences of that yeah that was really it but uh, you know it's like I said it was one of my first first experiences of something like that I mean that's one of my strongest values something that like you I try to do and that I really appreciate in other people that sense of what I call showing up when you know you can count on someone to show up for you 
And whether that's in person or not, you know, like I said, people all over the place, but just that sense that they're there with you and you're not alone is really, really powerful. And I love that that was demonstrated to you, you know, so early and it's something that has stayed with you. As a father, as I mentioned to two girls, how do you model that to them? And is it something that you see in them already? Do you know, it's, it's really difficult because, I mean, they're still, they're still young, right? So um, my eldest is 13, the youngest is 11. They're both nuts, but <laughs> it's one of them where they've not really been kind of tested in that way. Mm. Look, I think, I think the way that, you know, both me and my wife have tried to raise the kids, it's kind of, you know, show them as opposed to tell them, right? Yeah. And I think if they see these kinds of traits in us, you know, mum and dad live with us here. So uh, again, I know you I know you know them, but they've, uh, they've retired out here in Dubai. Mm. That kind of trait is in within all, within all of us. And I feel as if, you know, again, just being that close to us here and being exposed to, you know, just things like that, you know, I hope it's something that they kind of absorb and sort of take in. And I'm sure they will. I'm like, you know, they're, they're, they're good people. Mm. When I think of you and in comparison to other people that I know, family and that proximity to family really stands out. And as you mentioned, your parents are living with you in Dubai. So is that kind of instilled in you from your parents, this sense of being close with family and being on this journey together, if you will? And did you always kind of envisage when you became an adult that you would want to keep your parents close in that way. You'd want to kind of create this really tight unit around you. Yeah. And I don't know why I've, I've always been really close to my parents, but there was never any, you know, kind of weird pressure or anything that, you know, whatever I do in my life, I'd want to kind of keep my parents involved and, and things like that. It was just something that happened, I think, fairly naturally, you know, from, from a young age, I think honestly, the reason, for reason why that's happened is my dad was always, dad never treated me like a kid, mm. like never treated like a kid, right? From, from as young as I can remember, he would always be encouraging to me to make my own decisions, right? And then he'd always say, look, the only way that you'll ever learn is if you make your own decisions. And that's all the way from, you know, picking my options at GCSE when we're mm. at school again. But, you know, things like that, where he's like, look, I'm not going to study this stuff. You're going to study <laughs> it. So why are you asking me? And I'm like, well, it's just because... You know, we were told to go home and speak to your family. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, well, I'm not going to study it. He goes, you've got to, you've got to make these, these kinds of decisions. You've got to do this. Mm. And and you know what? There's something quite empowering about that because mm-hmm. from that point onwards, you know, there's never a case of, okay, you know, that's my dad and there's a big sort of level between us. Obviously I, you know, respect him massively, but, you know, if he annoys me, you know, then he's very much vege. And when he's, you know, <laughs> And when we're playing golf together, for example, and someone comes onto the golf course and comes and says to us, oh, you guys brothers, because he still dyes his hair and I don't. I mean, at that point, he's very much Veej because he kind of reminds me of the next four and a half hours on the buggy. Yeah. But, and look, for me, when I moved to Dubai, it was very much a case of, okay, can I get mum and dad out of here? Because my brother mm. moved around the same time as well. So although we're, you know, we're, we're a small family. And so... Um, you know, it was important to my brother and to me to get mum and dad over here and, and mm. you know, we managed to get them over here, you know, once we were a little bit more settled. Um, and it's been great. Like dad's involved in the business. So, um, you know, we haven't quite let him retire fully, but mm-hmm. know, kind of works his own hours and, you know, it's totally up to him what he wants to do. So, but it's been great. I mean, it's been great having them around the kids. And, and so they've, you know, mum's 
pretty much helped raise not just my kids, but Rav's kids as well, my brother's <laughs> yeah. kids. And it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the kind of bond and closeness she has to her grandkids is just so nice. Mm. You know, so that, that kind of, you know, the family kind of love has just kind of grown and it's been, yeah, it's been really kind of nice. It's been great for us as well, you know, as kind of parents to see that. I think it's really special. I know when I see photos that you post on um, Instagram or whatever and seeing all of you together, it's definitely not everyone has that. And you know, you've obviously been proactive in creating that. It's really, really lovely to see. I think when you were talking about the dynamic with you and your dad, it was making me think, you know, as a mum to Aura, there is something in striking that balance, isn't there, in how you want to have a close friendship, I guess, with your child, but not necessarily be their their best mate. And every relationship, every family is going to find this slightly differently. But what you said about the empowerment piece of you choose what you're going to study or you choose where you're going to work. I think that that's really interesting. And I think that's probably, it seems to me, one of the markers of success in that way of of saying, you know, I see you as a person, I'm respecting you as an individual, I'm here to support and be here, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah, and I think, I think that's a key point that you just mentioned there. The, it, it wasn't a case of you make the decision and you kind of live and die by that. Yeah. It would be a case of, okay, look, you've made that decision and I respect you enough that you've made that decision. Now, if you need support, I'm here. Yeah. Right. And and so that support piece, I think, is really key. And I think that's what we try to do for, with, with the kids as well. It's it, it is very much a case of look, you've got to make your own decisions. You mm. know, try and try and learn how to be decisive. You know, try not to kind of overthink things. You know, be considerate with the decisions you make. But then once you've made those decisions, you've got to kind of go for it. Right. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think it's difficult. It's, I think it's more difficult today with kids actually. But you know, they're just they're influenced by a lot more than I think what we were. But yeah, it's reminding me of this lyric that's really stayed with me recently in a song called Mama by Ray Black. And when she does a little rap in the middle, she talks about how her mother was giving her the tools she needed to propel her to her destiny. And it really stayed with me because, you know, I think so much about my little girl and, you know, what her future might look like and what support or help she might need or just wanting to nurture this full of beans, crazy energy that she has. It was that sense of, yeah, how can I give her the tools as she needs them to propel her, to help her become exactly who she wants to or is meant to become? And part of that, and I'm thinking about you living internationally and me living in London, I would sometimes think, oh, if I bring Aura up in London, which I consider to be one of the best cities in the world, then why would she ever want to leave? But of course, I think that's almost a part of becoming your own person, isn't it? I wouldn't be at all surprised if she leaves London because, you know, there's a big world out there. There's all of these things to explore and engage with. And that, again, to me, feels like part of my job is to support her, you know, have this kind of container around her so she can have those wings and fly even though that's obviously going to break my heart when she leaves me yeah but I mean not everyone who leaves uh stays here right as you know so right no. so you just, <laughs> you, you've been no. on that journey as well yeah. what I tell my kids all the time is everything you're doing now is all about options okay so whatever you know what decisions you make what you study how well you do uh what you do you know 
sort of extracurricular, whether it's your golf, whether it's football, whatever it is, all of that will just give you more options in life. And if you have more options, you're going to have a better chance of success. And that's, that's kind of what I, you know, that's what, what I always say to them. It's like, just think about the options piece, nothing else, right? Like mm. you're just going to have more options if you're, you know, I don't know, broadening your, your horizons to more things and being exposed to more than yeah. if you're not. You know, and, I, and for me, it's, it's interesting because I don't want them to stay here, right? So it's probably mm. the opposite. So for me, it's like, okay, look, when you guys are at uni, where is it that you want to go? And I think one advantage of, of living in an international place like this is, you know, if they want to go to the States, go to the States, right? Yeah. If you want to, yeah. you know, if you want to go to the UK, great. You know, it's totally up to you. We'll probably stay here, but, you know, go and live your own yeah. lives and, you know, be a bit more independent than perhaps even what we were. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not like trying to, to trap her here with me, but yeah, it's just that it's that sense of balance of wanting to encourage, you know, dreams to come true. And at what point do kids start having dreams of their own is a conversation I've been having recently. Yeah. Balancing that with keeping my little babe as close as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so the next period of time we're going to talk about, and it's around when you and I met and your first day at Stopsley. So Stopsley High School is is where we went to school. Tell me about your first day. Yeah, do you know do you know what? It's it's again, it's one of those pivotal moments in my life. And i and again it's something I I had I, I yeah, don't think about all the time, obviously, but from time to time it comes in my head. So you you actually didn't meet me on my first day at school. I think it was perhaps my second or third day. And and the reason why it was it was the second or third day is, do you remember we used to have those classes? I think in our year we had like four groups. Yeah. Right. Was it right? W O R and K. The streaming. Yeah. yeah. And it was all, and it was all basically done on, I guess, perceived sort of academic levels, I guess. Right. It's probably the well, best it was way. Done, <laughs> it was done. They had tested us. So I guess you weren't there. So at the end right. of the first year, which was year seven, they tested everyone. They streamed us. And I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, how this worked in practice, but yes, it went W-O-R-K to spell work. And if yeah. you were seen as ac- academically gifted or you know, talented, you went in W and O. And if you were less so, you went in R and K. So Correct. yes. Yeah. So having missed out on those tests, I came into school on the first day. And, and it, again, this was one of those, uh, just to go back a step. We lived in Ricelip, so, you know, uh-huh. grew up in Ricelip. I was in a really good school there. And again, my folks were like, look, we want to kind of, you know, move a little bit further up north because, you know, we can have a, you know, a bigger house and all that kind of stuff. And and they, they kind of asked me for my opinion on it. And I said, mm. you know what, if you guys want to do that, then let's do it now before I start my GCSE. So we moved at the beginning yeah. of year nine and it was all fine, right? Like, you know, got a nice, nice big house and all that kind of stuff. Uh, first day at school, they obviously don't know me. So I got put into this class, which was the K class. Okay. And it was the most horrific experience of my life. I mean, genuinely, it was so, so bad. And I just remember like the whole day, I'm just like, I just have no idea what's going on. I mean, like, and again, it sounds, sounds a bit kind of snobbish, I guess, but you know, I came from a good school where, you know, I was doing well. And then all of a sudden I'm doing work that I'd done maybe two years ago. Yeah. So I had a maths class, which again was just like, I don't, you know, what am I doing here? (laughs) All all the way through to the last lesson of the day was history. And, um, and it was, um, 
I think I remember his name, but I can't. Anyway, we had him for history after that, by the way. Mr. Sutton. Mr. Sutton. Okay. I hope he doesn't listen to podcasts. <laughs> anyway, so, so, so I'm in this class and literally it's, it's you know, we, we've seen it on TV, right? You know, those kind of American high schools where none of the kids really care about anything. And it was exactly that. So you walk in and then there's paper <laughs> airplanes all over the place. Mr. Sutton literally was like, you're the cake kids. So I obviously don't need to worry about kind of teaching you anything. So he had no, didn't even bother with classroom management. And I'm just sitting in the middle of this going, oh my God, where am I? What's happened here? And so I went home and literally I was like, right, where's my school report? Because that's the only document you had, right? I mean, there's no right. digital stuff. Right. So it was yeah. literally, so hadn't even unpacked because we'd only moved house a week before. Managed to find the school report. And then I was like, right, said to mom, dad, I was like, right, you're coming with me and we're going to go and show them this. And then hopefully it'll be okay. And then I think after that, they were like, I mean, I think they actually apologized because I obviously went in and I said, where have you put me? Yeah, <laughs> as you should. Yeah. And, and literally, luckily, they were like, realized very quickly. And said, look, we're just sorry. This is going to be your new class. So that's why I kind of almost walked in, I think, on the second day of the new term. <laughs> why that was kind of interesting. And I think going back to the Mr. Sutton point is he taught us after that. And the way he treated our class, right, was very different mm. to how he treated the other class. So what mm. I realized at that point, again, when you look back on it, actually some of those kids weren't given a chance. They were written off because they were in those classes. And there was, you know, again, he did, he, like I said, there was no attempt at classroom management, let alone, you know, classroom management in any form. And so you kind of imagine if that was kind of replicated in every class for, yeah. you know, for the rest of the next two or three years, then what chance are you giving those kids? Because it was very different when he was teaching the W class, for example, you know, it's just scary. There's so much, yeah, there's so much to unpick in all of that. And I was kind of, I couldn't help but laugh because of course you took me, right back I'm in that room this teacher who was actually a very sweet man but you know would sometimes hide in his cupboard as well even when he was teaching us but you know just to go to the what is going on with the school admin when you first joined why are they just making an immediate assumption oh well we'll put this this young boy in this class I I and then the fact that you, which I love, like, right, I, I know how I know, and a lot of kids wouldn't have known this. I know how to advocate for myself. I know that I need to find some evidence. I need to bring these adults, my parents is back up and I'm going to fix, I'm going to change the situation. So many other people wouldn't know how to do that. or wouldn't have the confidence to do that. And would just think this is where I am now. Bye-bye rice slip and the good school I was in. If you hadn't been that person at that young age, you might not have left K. Like what might have, no, have happened? <laughs> Scary. I don't, like I don't think you'd be in oh, Dubai know. running a successful business right now. And what you what you remind me of, and this is you know this is serious, is around expectations. The expectations were low. People didn't care. And you know I had friends. I think we all did across those groups. And I have a, a friend in particular who. I won't name, but you will remember, who is incredibly bright. And he had no business being in that group, but it was simply because they could only put value on academic test results. And, you know, we see this time and time and again, it's not currently changing, where if you don't know how to play the game, if you will, of scoring highly in these kinds of tests, then you can very early be written off and your destiny can be impacted quite severely and quite seriously just because of that. 
And so it's a funny story, but it's also a, a really sad and concerning, troubling story at the same time. Yeah, look, I think I think the, the, what was interesting is that over those next two or three years, I guess, I can't remember anyone moving between those classes, right? So, no. you know, if suddenly, suddenly, you know, displayed whatever they were looking for in terms of, you know, academic excellence or even just those behaviours, yeah. who moved up, right? Nobody. And I think no. that was the... That's, that, I think, was scary. But, you know, the kind of lesson, I guess, was always not so much for kind of stand up for yourself and all that stuff, but just more more to the point that actually if people aren't given opportunities, what are they going to do, right? Mm-hmm. That's scary. But I've, I think I've taken that, you know, with me within the business and stuff like that as well. You know, give people opportunities. Make sure there's a level playing field. Whoever's going to then, you know, take those opportunities, that's, that's great, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's then up to the individual. And, you know, rather than kind of, you know, pigeonholing someone in in a particular category yeah I mean I agree I do think because you're reminding me of an experience I had when we were finishing school I'd done fine in my GCSEs I'd got like my A A to C or whatever and for whatever reason because our school didn't have a sixth form college so if you wanted to continue education anyway after 16 you had to leave and go to a a different couple of college options and in my kind of referral or recommendation note if you like from school to our sixth form college it suggested that Rebecca will be able to handle one A level like what am I going to do with one A level you know and I wanted to go to university that was very much my dream and I didn't really know where that what was that based on like I don't know where my GCSEs and these teachers were telling these tutors at sixth form college that's all I was capable of and again that was for me that was kind of just rocket fuel of well I'm going to show you but that could have really damaged my choices and chances and I think that that's that just goes on too often unfortunately yeah that's that's scary that's scary I don't even I don't remember them making those recommendations I have never forgotten because of that reason yeah Yeah, so (laughs) in the midst of moving towns moving schools kind of finding your feet, I guess, in your community. The next thing that you um, would like to talk about, which again, I don't really remember, but was having your first business meeting at age 14. What was this all about? What business meeting were you having? Yes, I, th- I think this was kind of part and parcel of mom and dad taking a risk on a big house, bigger mortgage, and then basically saying, right, we've got to go out and do something else. And, and, and my parents were very kind of entrepreneurial. Uh, always kind of have been. So my mum started a, a sandwich business. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. I do. And we had, uh, part, you know, we were very fortunate in terms of, you know, part of the house was previously from the previous owners. They'd used it as a, a business space as well. So we'd almost had a whole kind of section of a house, which was really could be used for kind of commercial purposes. Mm. So anyway, that, that kind of business started uh, dad was still obviously working full time uh, with his job uh, in a city and there would just be days when he would just come back from work early and say right put your suit on we're going for a meeting and I'd be like just got home from school he's like yeah it's fine just put your suit on and then we'd end up going to uh, you know going to these meetings and and ultimately it would be you know a sales meeting where you know dad's trying to obviously sell them to sell uh, you know whatever products we were manufacturing and and just just those kind of just the experience of that because that was like you know that was you'd get a real buzz I mean even right now if I go into yeah. a sales meeting you know, I do a lot less of that now but if I do kind of find myself in that position I still get a buzz from you know 
going into sales meetings and closing deals. And and that started 30 years ago, right? I mean, it was mm. literally, you know, when I was when I was a kid, you know, mm. seeing, you know, how happy, you know, mum and dad would be if it, dad went and sort of closed the deal. And, and no matter how big or small the deal was, and it was some big meetings that he just dragged me to, which were worth, you know, serious amounts of money, even today. But I just loved the fact that he would just drag me to a meeting, irrespective of what's that other person going to think. Yeah. It was a case of, no, this will be great experience. It will kind of, you know, help. And and it has, right? I mean, it's really, it's really had an impact on my life, you know, from that, from that very sort of young age. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's funny again, like, you know, when you kind of look back on these things, it's just like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's game changer stuff. We're all products, aren't we? To some extent, but products of our environment. And the fact that you had these two entrepreneurial parents being taken to meetings, being you know given agency over some of the important decisions in your early life, it all adds up to you know this this person who I've seen kind of grow and evolve and become this successful titan in business you know, in his own way. Because I think I've said to you before, and I've definitely said to some of the girls, my friends that I grew up with, we all went to the same school. Why is it, and I don't want to make this as straightforward as a, a gender thing, but there's quite a few of the boys that went to our school who've done well for themselves, who've done all right. And there aren't as many girls in the same way. And I get curious about why is that? And why aren't there so many girls who have their own businesses or perhaps all like, what will we... This was the 90s. I think the expectations were different. We were being taught in different ways. We were being spoken to in different ways. We know all this. I find it really fascinating that we didn't go to a fancy school or hugely academic school by any means, the kind of traditional routes to success. But yet there are some of our peers, yourself included, who have really thrived. Do you know, I, 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 it's, it's interesting you say that because when I look back at school, the brightest people in our class were the girls. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Like, like yourself. I mean, like basically you'd like, you know, you, you'd be, you'd be one of the ones that we'd look to saying, you know, just because again, I like, like what you mentioned there's you and then there's uh, people like Joe and, and, you know, I remember that you guys being, being the smart ones. Right. And um, so it's, it's really interesting. I, and I don't know what the answer to that is. It's really, I don't know. I've got, I'm genuinely speechless because, but in saying that, how well have you done? Right. But it's a different kind of success, and it really, it is. Um, and I think, I wonder, Jenny and I, who is another you know, bright friend, have spoken about this. Is it a confidence thing? Were we just not thinking about stuff in this way? Listening to your stories, I was thinking about, you know, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and that's why I mentioned environment. I don't think, if I remember wrong, rightly, and I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, that any of our dads, were entrepreneurs or maybe working, you know, had positions, you know, in business in that sense. So I, I just, I, well, I certainly wasn't exposed to this kind of thinking or way of living or working when I was growing up for sure. And what, and then subsequently when I, you know, worked in government, as you know, for a number of years and then worked in social impact, I started telling myself this story about, well, I'm not good at business because I'd worked in nonprofit for so long. It's really interesting, these kind of stories we can tell ourselves based on our experiences, based on what's around us. And now, you know, with us both in our, being in our mid forties, you can really look back and see some of the consequences of that perhaps. Yeah, no, okay, that, that, that kind of makes sense. But I'm also, I think, very lucky and fortunate that I had that grounding. And I think that's, 
you know, that was a difference. The, the, the only other thing I'd say is we've got a, you know, still a very kind of close mutual friend in Matt. Mm. And, um, and growing up, I would, so again, dad worked in a trademarks office in, in, uh, in a city. So their office mm-hmm. was in Piccadilly. And I think I was, again, 14, 15, maybe, yeah, but around, around a sort of 14, 15 mark. And there was an opportunity to go and work there for a couple of Saturdays. And it was, in those days, it was kind of life-changing money because it was, it was about 30, 35 pounds a week, a, a day, sorry. Mm. Okay. And um, so I'd kind of, you know, I'd go there and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, this is quite cool. You know, mm. money into my kind of, you know, my, um, Christ, what was it? Anglia Building Society account or whatever it was. <laughs> right? mm. And then, so I basically, any opportunity I got in the holidays, so it, literally the first day of summer holidays, the last day of summer holidays, I'd be going in every single day in the city, sometimes in the weekends, but I'd also then do that in Christmas holidays, Easter, and then every now and then, you know, if homework and stuff wasn't so bad or we didn't have exams, then it'd be Saturdays, like whatever, there'd mm. always be work. Yeah. I was doing something like very unimportant, right? It was, you know, in those days, I think for a couple of years, I was, I was like filling in as a postboy there. So, yeah. you know, in the days of a traditional kind of mail, I was opening envelopes, yeah. I did yeah. letters and then passing them around the office. But it just, I don't know what it was. It was just, A, I was then surrounded by mm. adults the whole time. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of those, some of those guys are really good, close friends of mine today. Uh, you know, some of them are a lot older. Right. Yeah. But, you know, if I'm back home, I'll always go for a beer with them. But it was interesting. I think I've just kind of it just maybe made me a little bit more. I don't know. It fast tracked my maturity levels, I guess, more than anything else. And I also understood like I also understood what it was like to have money so mm, you know yeah. again in, in you know at a young age it was like okay if you did earn two or three thousand pounds in the summer it's a lot of money right yeah I mean, we're still talking about early 90s right yeah well you just said you were earning 35 pounds a day i remember i was working at summerfield earning one point one pound 98 maybe an hour right so you know and i wasn't being surrounded by inspiring <laughs> people you know customers at some feel very lovely yeah. but it's a different it's a different thing <laughs> yeah but, but yeah yeah you know totally right and I think I think that was uh, that was it so if, yeah so then I started thinking okay if I can carry this on for university then I can basically pay for uni mm. I wouldn't need to take out any loans I wouldn't need to borrow money from my parents yeah. and so I was lucky but like that job carried on until I was about 21 and got a few pay rises along the way but that would be it I'd go and work a summer there and that would pay for half a uni year. Yeah. You know, but it just, it just forced me to kind of manage money from an early age. I didn't have any debt. It was mm. just, just some very kind of early life lessons. But again, it was really, you know, my dad and his network that really kind of supported me through that. Just being forced to make decisions, right, about everything. Yeah. And on a personal level, what I like, what, what I see from a distance is how you were kind of passing some of that kind of knowledge or inspiration onto your girls I think, you know, being the father of girls, it's such an important job. I'm always very pleased when I see how you encourage them and, you know, just equipping them to, as we were saying before, have options and get prepared to live the life of their dreams. Yeah, I think, I think look, that's that's really important. And I think, you know, when you mentioned earlier, why why is it that perhaps, you know, the girls in our class haven't, haven't maybe done as well as for boys and, and for me it was I've got two daughters and, and that's it for us we're done with you know in terms of more kids but that was great I was like right how can I 
you know, how can I give them all the tools they need, you know, to be successful, you know, to get those options. And, and to be fair, they, they kind of buy into it as well. Right. You know, like it's, I think it'd be really difficult if they didn't, Mm. but I kind of, you know, get them excited about stuff. I mean, they've been, they've been running their own podcast now for two years. I remember. You know, which is, which again is great. They don't do it as frequently now just because they, you know, have busy little lives and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But the reason I started that was just because my my eldest daughter was, um, she'd had a tough year at school. She had some, you know, a few com- sort of confidence issues, which were kind of outside of her being her normal self. Mm. And it was the youngest one who was like, right, we're going to do this. Mm. You know, so I've seen how they both sort of interact and help yeah. each other. Mm. Um, and that's kind of happening now, the, you know, Sashria, the older sister now is, you know, definitely playing her role, helping Shana when, you know, she's facing challenges, but that was what I was trying to almost get some saying, look, if you guys could figure out a way, you know, they're both very different, ultra competitive, but if you guys can figure out a way of working together, then actually you guys yeah. will be formidable, you know, in the future. And, and that's it. So we, you know, we're working on the next project now, which is an NFT project with them. And, you know, we're <laughs> kind of brainstorming those things, but, um, but yeah, it's, re- I mean, it's really good fun for me as well. Like, if, you know, it's, I, I love every kind of, minute that I have you know around that kind of stuff and I sincerely I just love to hear to hear it and I love to see like your face when you talk about them it's it's really 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 wonderful we're coming to the end of our time together so all that remains is for me to ask you what is your mantra for grown-up living do you know what very very kind of straightforward for me and it's I don't know I don't know where it where it sort of even came from in my mind but I've, I've always said, and I say it to everyone in my company is like, look, whatever you do, do a good job, put everything into it and don't do anything that's going to lose you any sleep at night, mm. you know, and that's it. You know, if you can, if you can basically lay your head down at night on your pillow and not have to worry about, you know, I wish I hadn't done this or I wish I hadn't mm. said that you've done well that day. Right. Mm. And just kind of rinse and repeat every day. And that's it. And, and I also think the world's such a small place that, you know, things like that just catch up on you. So, you know, just just be good yeah you continue to be an inspiration to me you're such a brilliant leader and father and yeah I'm so I'm just thrilled that we had those years together when we were growing up thank you so much for joining me Amit thanks Rebecca it's been great great to see you again thanks so much for listening to this episode of sharing tales brought to you by happy Marlowe the purpose-driven brand on a mission to help grown-ups emotionally empower the little people in their lives. To find out more, visit happymarlow.com. If you're not already subscribed to this podcast, please do so at your usual podcast platform to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please go ahead and leave a review and a rating as they really do help other people to find this show. And if you feel the urge to tell all of your friends and family about sharing tales, who are we to stop you? Thanks as always to our wonderful sound producer and editor, Erin Maguire at Beyondgolia Productions. Be sure to tune in next Monday for a new episode. Bye-bye for now. Hold up. 